Got your Bibles with you? Let me see them. Hold them up. Fantastic. Make sure you keep bringing the Word of God. This is a gift. You understand that, right? We do not deserve this gift either, do we? What we deserve as broken individuals, as people who were born with a sinful nature, born separated from God, born with this this proclivity towards sin, that we do not deserve the right or the opportunity to have a conversation with God. That is not something that we should, you know, just take for granted, that we've been given this gift of communion with God. We've been given this gift of of God's Word that we can hold in our hands and that we can read, and we must celebrate that great truth. And we must tell people about that great truth. That's why, as you heard Matt share a few moments ago, that we have a group right now that are serving in the Bahamas. We have another group that left yesterday on the way to Guatemala. They're there, and they'll be there all week. In fact, I'm leaving this afternoon to go and meet them and flying down to Guatemala, spending uh, this week as we're dedicating wells. I'm preaching to 200 and some pastors on Tuesday, and, and we're going to continue the work of, of ministry in that nation. And so, like, we continue to go, and we continue to tell, and we continue to share. Why? Because we do not deserve it, that we need to cherish this gift. And so today, as we talk about that gift, as we talk about what Christ has done, we go back to our series that we've been walking through on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, and we walk through this, this conversation that Jesus had with us. 2,000 years ago, words that he gave, words that he shared to say, hey, guys, you didn't deserve it, but listen now, here's how I want you to live. Now, let's be honest. If today, if in some weird change and turn of events, if somehow there was a a possibility or an opportunity that that Jesus would do what he did 2,000 years ago, and that he would step out of heaven and that he would come to this earth, and that he would walk among us again. And let's say for, just for instance, and just for, you know, for conversation, purposes of our conversation today, that we actually knew when he came, we knew who he was. Okay? And let's say that Jesus, rather than showing up in Bethlehem, Jesus showed up in Lynchburg. You know, he was born in a manger in Lynchburg. And so he came to Lynchburg, and let's just say, for the purposes of our conversation today, that Jesus came here, and he arrived in Lynchburg, and let's say that, you know, tomorrow morning, he happens to walk into your workplace, and he shows up in your workplace, and when he shows up in your workplace, he, he, he walks over to you, and he comes, okay, stand up, what's your name? Justin. This is Justin. <laughs> and so, Justin, where do you work? Uh, I work, I, I live out of town. What well, do you? Company. You can work out of town. Yeah, I work at an IT company. Okay, and what company? I mean, what what city? Uh, Rocky Mount. So Jesus showed up in Rocky Mount, not Lynchburg. He shows up in Rocky Mount. Okay, and he he shows up in Rocky Mount, and he comes over to Justin at the IT company. That'd be kind of a weird story, right? Yeah. Can you imagine turning into your Bible and reading? And Jesus came, and he was born in Rocky Mount, mm-hmm. and he went and he went to the IT company to find Justin. I mean, it's a totally new story, right? Kind of, he's wondering, like, I can't believe I came to this church today and I'm getting called out. I don't. But Justin, let me ask you a question, okay? So, so if Jesus showed up tomorrow in the IT company in Rocky Mount, and you knew it was him, like there was no question. It was just not some long-haired dude walking in and he's saying he was Jesus. I mean, you know this is Jesus, right? And he came in and he said, hey, Justin, I want to tell you some things. And here's what I want you to do. Are you going to listen to him? Yeah. 
Are you going to like really like lean into what he has to say? Like that's a pretty obvious thing that we would want to know. This is what Jesus said. I'd want to know that. And would you want to know that? I mean, would you want to know that? Like I think all of us, thank you, Justin, I appreciate you coming. And I hope you come back again, okay? I don't do this to like every guest. I don't do this like to every guy who just shows up. It's just a, you know, it just happened to be you were sitting in the seat, right? There's like a little number underneath you, you won a prize, congratulations. You get embarrassed in front of thousands of people, that's the way it works. But, but if Jesus showed up in the IT company in Rocky Mount tomorrow and he walked in and said, Justin, listen, here's what I want you to know, and here's what I want you to hear, and here's how I want you to live, I can guarantee you Justin is going to lean in. And he's going to want to hear, okay, so, so what is it now, Jesus, that you want me to do? Like, he's going to listen. And I think all of us would listen if he showed up where you happen to work. You know, if he happened to show up wherever you might be tomorrow morning, like you would say, okay, I want to hear that. Hey, let me give you a newsflash. Jesus already did exactly that. He actually did exactly what I just portrayed with Justin from Rocky Mount. Like, the exact same story. Jesus has done that. He came 2,000 years ago, and he did tell us what he wanted us to do. And he did tell us how we are to live. And he made it very, very clear. And that's what this passage that we've been walking through is all about. Like, hey, he gave us his word, here's what we're to do. So we've been walking through, and I want you to turn now, Matthew chapter 6, we're going to look at verse 5 and following. And this is a familiar passage. It's not one that, um, you know, it's a kind of a, a kind of an obscure passage that you don't know much about. Like, like it's, a, it's, a, it's one you know a lot about. And I just kind of want to spend a little bit of time today walking through so we can get the picture of and see, like, how did Jesus tell us that we're to pray. Now, let's just understand that when we talk about how we're to pray, that let's just kind of take that word pray and let's kind of slide it aside for a moment, and let's just understand what he really was saying. Here's how I want you to talk to God, okay? So again, for some of us, when we were in high school, as uh, young boys in high school, and we're, you know, starting to notice that, you know, that women are not something to, you know, avoid, and not something to make fun of. When we start seeing girls, we think, they're kind of cute, you know, and we, we want to actually figure out, how am I going to talk to that girl, because I'm so embarrassed. Like, like if someone had said, here's how you're going to talk to that girl, so that she will actually hear you, and she'll respond. Guys, let's be honest. For those of you who are like not now in middle school and high school, you're like long past that. How many of you would like to have heard that story back in middle school or high school? Raise your hand. Be honest. Like, I would love to have someone tell, hey, here's how you talk to them without looking like an idiot, right? I mean, that would have been something important to know. Okay, that's what Jesus said. Here's how you are to talk to God. And so let's go to this passage, Matthew chapter 6. Let's walk through. And let's see what it is that Jesus had to say. He gave us kind of like five different little elements are breaking down here uh, that, that, that through this passage of 18, of five, verses 5 through 18, five like kind of little segments here that we'll just kind of briefly walk through so you understand uh, exactly like what it looks like in your responsibility and your opportunity to have a conversation with God. And the first one the picture he gives us is the attitude of prayer. Like here's the attitude of prayer. Here's how you are to to have the right kind of attitude to come before God. Verse 5, and when you pray, you should not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. 
assuredly I say to you, they have their reward. Now, a couple of quick things of the attitude of prayer. The first thing we get right there is, and when you pray, just like in verse 2, it says, and when you give, here Jesus uses that same language and says, and when you pray. So what can we infer? What can we take away from that? Number one, it is required that we pray. It's commanded of God that we pray. Like, we have a responsibility to talk to God. It's not an option. It's not an opportunity. It's not something that if you have time, it's not something like, hey, if you feel like it, God, through His Son, clearly says, when you pray, you are to pray. It's commanded. But then He says this, and you don't pray like in, in a way that brings all the attention to you. He says, like, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and standing on the streets. Now, the language that's given there, again, is this kind of a, a statement that Jesus is giving to, to kind of, you know, throw shade at the Pharisees and the religious leaders because it was all about show. It was all about show and it was all about them, okay? Now, I think all of us in this room probably know of people that in their lives and in their journeys and what they do and how they live, it's all about show and it's all about them, right? Does any, don't raise your hand. Do you know somebody like that? That it's all about show and it's all about them? I think we all do. We all have people that we know, the people that we've read about, people that maybe we've seen on television, like everything they do, it's all about show and it's all about them. And so what Jesus is saying, hey, when you pray, don't make it all about show and don't make it all about you. You don't just simply do it so that you get all the attention. Now, Jesus is not like saying to us, like, hey, don't pray in public. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is don't pray with the wrong attitude. What he's saying is, like, don't pray in a way that takes the, the celebration away and the attention away from a holy God and put it on yourself or on someone else. So is it wrong to pray in public? Absolutely not, as long as we pray correctly. We've all seen, uh, probably you've seen or heard about what uh, is taking place at Asbury University, uh, where there is this uh, chapel service that started, what, 12, 13 days ago, and is still going on where people are gathering together, and they're praying, and they're worshiping, it's just going on and on, and God is doing a, a special work there, a special work of renewal and revival in the people there, and they're praying publicly. I, I don't think God is being dishonored in any way because they're gathering together and praying publicly in that setting, because they're doing it with the right attitude. Now, is everybody in that room that has gone and, and been a part of that doing it the right? I have no idea, but I think the general spirit is like in the right attitude. People have said, you know, I've, I've had a couple of people actually, like, why don't we do that here? You know, why don't you like do something like that at Thomas Road or do something like that at Liberty? And my answer is like, yeah, I didn't do that. And they didn't do that. God does that. And so what we do is we don't try to replicate or manufacture what God's going to do. God's going to do what God's going to do, where God's going to do it, when God's going to do it. And if you try to do what God is only uh, capable of doing, you can guarantee that God's not going to show up and God's not going to do anything. And so we recognize and understand, like, like, God does it. And our job and our responsibility is not to try to manufacture or invite and, and, and you know, kind of create this picture of the presence of the power of the Holy God. It's to simply recognize the power of the Holy God in our own journey. Is it wrong to pray in public? No. But is it wrong to pray in public with the wrong attitude of trying to put on a show and try to make it all about you? You bet it is. So Jesus says, don't, 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 don't pray like that. You see, what we recognize, what Jesus was saying here is don't be like the, the, uh, the hypocrites. 
What he's really trying to say here is portraying holiness is not nearly as important as pursuing holiness. Putting on the show is not nearly as important as doing the hard work of getting yourself in a right position before God. And so we have to have the right attitude, the attitude of prayer. Why is that important? Well, it's important because we also read in 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, these words, now this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of Him. Basically, what that says is this, we can have confidence that when we have the right attitude and we approach God with the right heart and we approach God with the right request, God's will, God hears us and God will answer us. Now here's a quick question, I think I know the answer before I even ask it. Does everybody in here really want to find God's will, seek God's will and seek God's will carried out in your life? The answer I think would be yes, we absolutely, absolutely do. And here, we can have confidence that that's exactly what God will do if, 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 the four ifs, if we have the right attitude of prayer. So understand, that's what you, don't be like the hypocrites. Do it with authenticity. Do it genuinely. Do it from the right kind of heart. Okay, let's move forward. The second thing, the posture of prayer. Right? And I'm not talking about like, do you stand, do you kneel, do you lie down, do you, you know, kind of flat on your face? You know, all of those things are applicable. All of those things can be used. I'm not talking about that kind of posture. What I'm talking about is what Jesus said here in verse 6. But you, when you pray, isn't that interesting? He uses you when you pray. So it's very personal. Go into your room, and when you've shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, again, another statement, a command there, do not use vain repetitions as the heathens do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things that you have need of before you ask Him. Now, what He's saying is, and what the the, the kind of the representation that Jesus is giving is that in those days and in these days, it's still the same, that there are a lot of people who think that if they're going to talk to God, if they're going to pray to God, that there has to be this kind of, this, this, you know, kind of chant-like situation, this kind of thing that you have to do in order to try to get the attention of God. Like that God's not paying attention, that God is this God that has the whole, you know, He's got the whole world in His hands, He's got like a, a big, big job, He's you know, okay, taking care of the whole universe, and so therefore, if we're going to get the attention of God, then we have to go into some kind of like vain repetition and this kind of, this constant chatter, this constant chant to try to get the attention of God. Now understand, we don't really have a picture of what that looks like, but think about what we see so often in religions from the East. Uh, I was in Nepal a few years ago. And when I was in Nepal a few years ago, we would walk through some of the temples there and, and some of the people there that the, they were praying and, and whether it was you know, the Buddhists, they were they're praying and, and they would sit there and they would spin these, these, these things within the temple and they would spin them and spin them and they would chant and they would, you know, they would kind of have this kind and they almost got in a trance while they're trying to talk to God and they're saying that same thing over and over and over and over again. If you go to Israel today, you can go to the Western Wall 
right outside of where the Temple Mount was. And, and even today you can see a lot of the, uh, the Jewish people, the Jewish faith, that they will go and they will pray there. And then they will actually, you know, rock back and forth at that wall. And they'll, again, same things over and over and over again, going through this, this ritual, going through these, these chant-like situations to try to get the attention of God. What Jesus is saying here is, hey, don't use vain repetitions. Now, I know some of you are saying, well, I don't do that. Like, I don't, I don't go, like, rock in front of a wall. I don't go and, you know, spin some things in the temple. I don't chant and, and do the same things over and over again. But we honestly, let's be honest, we all get into the habit of, we get into this cycle of when we pray, we kind of pray the same things over and over again. I mean, you know, you go through these seasons, these moments when you have time to pray over your breakfast or your lunch or your dinner, and you've got your family there and you pray. And probably, if truth be known, for most of us, that the same words that you use for prayer for lunch yesterday are going to be the same words that you use in prayer for lunch today. Because you get into this kind of written. Now, there's nothing wrong with that as long as you're saying the right things. Nothing really wrong with that. But here's the problem. The problem is that if we get ourselves in that position, that we can allow ourselves the, the unfortunate p- posture or position here where we could become so ritualistic in what we say in our prayers that we lose sight of the power of that prayer that we lose sight of the importance of that prayer. We lose sight of really what prayer is. And what prayer is, is a declaration of dependence. Not a declaration of independence. We know what that means. It's a declaration of dependence. And so, God, thank you for this food. God, thank you for providing it. God, thank you for pizza. God, thank you for French fries. Thank you for dessert. You know, I mean, just under, like it's a declaration. Like, God, we thank you for what you're providing to us. Rather than this rote, you know, kind of words that we just kind of throw out there and they're the same words over and over again where they lose meaning and because they are kind of seared into our memory that they have no meaning whatsoever. Is it wrong to pray the same prayer? No. It is wrong to pray the same prayer if the words are so seared in your memory that you honestly don't even pay attention to the words that you say. And that's what Jesus is talking about, vain repetitions. You do not need to get the attention of God because God already knows what you need. I love what Jesus said there. He already knows what you have need of before you even ask. And so you don't need to go through that vain repetition. So basically, it's kind of like this. Rather than, you know, kind of a a, a rote ritual, a rote, you know, recitation of the same words over and over again, basically just remember this with prayer, rote ain't right, okay? You got that? Rote ain't right. Just understand, like, it's a conversation. I've been married to Sherry for 30 years, and I can guarantee you that if every single day of my life I said the same exact words to her every single day and never changed it, and there was no variety, and I would never say anything other than the exact same things like Groundhog Day over and over and over again, Sherry would get tired of it. And Sherry would not be happy. Sherry would, would make sure that, that I knew that she wasn't happy. And when, you know, when your wife's not happy, I can guarantee you, you ain't happy either, right? I mean, we know that. And the same thing is their conversation with God. Like, like, don't get into those vain repetitions. God already knows what you need. So just have a real and a genuine and authentic conversation with God. Get away from the, the, you know, the show. Get away from the rituals. Get away from the, you know, just kind of the replication. And just have a conversation with a God who loves you and wants to hear from you. The posture of prayer. It's a, literally nothing more than a conversation between an individual, a person, and his creator. 
And that's what God wants it to be. So we talked about the attitude of prayer, the posture of prayer. Now we talk about the content of prayer, right? Now we get into what we know as the Lord's Prayer. So again, we go back and read verses 9 and following. In this manner, Jesus said, therefore pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, first thing we need to understand about the Lord's Prayer is that this is not the Lord's Prayer. You understand that, right? So many people say that Jesus taught us how to pray by modeling prayer for us, and this is how Jesus prayed, therefore this is how we should pray. And that is completely not true. This prayer, I can guarantee you Jesus never prayed this prayer. And if Jesus prayed this prayer, honestly, you would have to question the deity of Christ. Because why would Jesus need to pray for forgiveness? He doesn't, because He's perfect, right? So what Jesus is saying is, hey guys, listen, so here's how you need to pray. So this is the, the model prayer for, you know, the, the, the people that we are, the individuals, the disciples, the, the saints that we are, saints who were saved by a holy God. We were once sinners, and now we're saints because we've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, who, saints who still sin. And so this is our prayer. And so what does he say that your prayer should look like? Well, he gives us kind of this, and I, I, just forgive me, uh, I, I just actually kind of wrote this down like right before I walked out here, and I sent it up really quick to John Daggett and said, can you get this for me on the screen? So I want to put this on the screen right now. This is really what the Lord's Prayer path is all about. So you ought to write it down or get your phones out, take a picture of this, right? Because Jesus said, in the same manner, this is how you're supposed to pray, right? He said, this is what you're supposed to do when you pray. And so this is really what the Lord's Prayer path looks like. This is what Jesus said our prayer should look like. The first one, recognizing who God is. And who is God? Our Father in heaven, right? That He is the one who is over all. He is the one who created all. He is the one that, that everything exists through Him. God is our Creator. That we recognize and understand that He and He alone is God, that you are not. And that there is no other God other than Him, a recognition of who God is. Secondly, we celebrate what God does. Hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. That word hallowed literally means to sanctify or to set apart. And so we, we set apart the name of God like He is different than any of us. He's different than any other being. He's different than any other religious leader. He is different than any other religion. He is different. He is one. He is, he is God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. And there's never another one like Him. We celebrate who God is and we celebrate what God does. We look at this passage, this important uh, passage in Scripture when Jesus said, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That second statement, your kingdom come, your will be done. Your kingdom come. This is not a picture of what is going to come, which it will, but really this is a, a statement of, God, we desire what you desire on this earth. Like, God, we want people to come to Christ. We want to see revival. We want to see what's taking place in other places. We want to see it right here in Lynchburg. God, we want your will. We celebrate what God does. We realize what God desires. God desires the salvation of all. The Bible tells us that He came to seek and to save that which is lost. He's not willing that any should perish. We recognize through our prayers, God, we know that you want Lynchburg to be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That ought to be part of our prayers. The next one, 
that we receive what God gives. God, give us this day our daily bread, that we actually have the opportunity that God has said, listen, I want to hear from you what you need. Now, listen, God already knows. He already knows what you need, but isn't it cool that He wants to hear it? Now, understand, I've said this a million times, this is not like a, an invitation of God to say, whatever you want, I'll give you. That's not what this is saying. It's a recognition that whatever you need, God will provide. And so we understand that our, our desires line up with God's desires, and we receive what God gives. And then we ask for forgiveness. Now, that part of the passage, God, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, a lot of people look at that and think, well, man, wouldn't it be great if God would forgive our debts? Like God would, you know, we pray today and this afternoon the bank would call us and say, hey, uh, God called us and He took care of your mortgage. Wouldn't that be cool, right? I mean, that'd be awesome. But that word debts there is really not referring to financial debt. It's not referring to any monetary situation. The word debt there is referring to the debt that we have to God, and that debt is sin. God, forgive us of our sins. That we understand that, that when we talk about that statement, God, forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors, it's a picture of God, forgive me of my sins, God, and help me to be a representation of forgiveness to others. And so we understand that we receive what God gives. We ask for forgiveness. God, forgive me of the sins that I've committed. Then we seek His protection. Lead me not into temptation. Recognize this. Remember, declaration of dependence, not independence, of dependence. You don't have a prayer when you go up against Satan on your own. And so, God, I need you as I face the temptations of this world to give me the strength that I need to make it through. And then it goes on that we long for what God longs for. God, your will. God, I long for your, your will in my life. I long for your will in this church. God, I long for your will in our community. God, I want this. I want what you want. This is kind of the, the picture Jesus gave us of the content of our prayers, of like what that prayer looks like, of how we're to pray. It's not the picture of Jesus' prayer. This is not like when you pray this prayer, it's like, I'm praying the same prayer Jesus prayed. Jesus never asked God for forgiveness of his sins, ever, because he didn't need to. But hey, don't miss this. You do. Because we all need to seek that forgiveness. And again, we're reminded again over in John of the great promise that we have as a result of this. John 14, verses 13 and 14. And whatever you ask in my name, Jesus said, that I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Isn't it cool that Jesus said, hey, you ask anything in my name that lines up with God's will, and I'll do it. And so what that means is find God's will, get in God's will, seek God in, the, in the, the furtherance of His will in your life, and God's going to give you everything you could ever long for as long as you long for the things of God. Does that make sense? And so that's the picture He gave, the content of our prayers. Then He goes on to give us the motivation of our prayers. The motivation of our prayers. Look what it says in verses 14 and 15, for if you forgive men their trespasses, you, uh, your heavenly Father, will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, understand, Jesus is not saying here that if you do not forgive others, you'll lose your salvation. That is not at all what He is saying. Basically what He is doing is He is saying that, that forgiveness accentuates, it's a picture of the fruit of your salvation. 
And so, in other words, if you're a person who does not have forgiveness in your heart, that you do not forgive others for how they have done you wrong or how they have hurt you, then the picture, the statement that we can understand is this, is number one, either we are not a member of the body of Christ, we're not actually a Christian, or number two, that we are not living in the right way as a follower of Jesus Christ, that we understand. That's what he says. Hey, forgive others, because if you don't forgive others, there may be a problem. Because we have to live that same kind of life. Why? Because we've been forgiven for what we've done. And then finally, the companion of prayer. And this is a statement of uh, the picture of fasting. Now understand, fasting in the Old Testament, it was a requirement, but it was only a requirement in limited situations. You go back to the Old Testament and they required fasting only, Moses, only on the Day of Atonement. Like there was one day they had to fast, right? And so you look through all the Old Testament, lots of pictures of that. New Testament, the same story continued. There were different times where fasting was encouraged, but it wasn't commanded. It's not something like, like that you, you know, that you had to go through again, a ritualistic, a rote thing of fasting every single week or every single month or whatever it might be. But it is a gift that God gives to us to, again, tap into the power of a holy God. So look what Jesus had to say. He said this, moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites. Another same statement with the sad countenance. For they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your father who's in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Understand, Fasting is something that is a discipline, it is a, uh, an opportunity, and I would actually go on to say this, fasting is a gift. It's a gift that God gives to us to tap into even a deeper connection to the power of God. That when we allow ourselves to set aside things that we are permitted to have, that we're allowed to have, that we, that we desire to have, and we set that aside for a season so that we can, again, declaration of dependence on God that it gives us the opportunity of kind of going deeper in our faith and seeing God move in a powerful way. Now, if we go back into the 1990s, around here, uh, Liberty University at that time was going through some difficult financial times, a season when there was uh, a lot of challenge and a lot of question about what the future might look like because of, uh, you know, just the financial troubles that they were having at the time. And I remember, many of you who were here around that time, you remember there was a time that, um, you know, dad asked all of us, like, pray for, you know, God's deliverance, pray for God's power, to, God to show up and do some incredible things. And, and there were some tough times back in those days. But I remember, because again, I, I had the opportunity of being in my dad's house at the time and being able to see and, and kind of in a, in a different perspective, in a different way than a lot of people, there was a season when dad truly wanted to see God move in a way that God had never moved before. And so my dad started a 40-day fast. Now, some of us have fasted a day. Some of us have fasted three days. A couple of years ago, uh, if you remember in January of 2020, we started that year. We started that year with a 21-day fast. Um, and, and that was the longest fast that I'd ever done. And I mean, it was tough. And by the way, we were praying for God to do something really big in 2020. <laughs> we need to be more specific next time. Um, <clears throat> we... It goes without saying, it's a rough year. Um, but my dad started a 40-day fast because he wanted, he was seeking like, like God's deliverance for Liberty University. And so for 40 days, he went on this fast and he didn't eat anything for 40 days. 
He would drink water and he would drink V8, uh, V8 juice and coffee. Water, coffee, and V8, uh, like, I guess V8 juice, that's what it's called, right? All I know is, like, it stinks. I just know that. <laughs> My dad had the worst breath of any human on the face of the earth for that entire 40 days. And so he went through that 40-day fast, and at the end of the 40 days, God had not done anything. God had not delivered liberty. There had not been some miracle thing that had happened. There had not been some, you know, just tremendous change in events or change in status. It was still tough, and it was a difficult time. And uh, Dad didn't talk about it. He didn't talk about the fast. In fact, if you, you know, other than the fact that you saw that he was losing weight, I mean, he was losing weight, you would think he's on a, you know, he's on a really strict diet. Other than that, you wouldn't even know he was on a fast. And then he, he came off the fast after 40 days, and, and again, there was nothing like dramatic that had happened. But dad didn't talk about it. He didn't say, man, I'm disappointed because God didn't do what I was asking him to do. He didn't say any of that. He came off that fast, and, and for 10 days he was off that fast. And then after the 10th day, he started another 40-day fast. Now, I don't know if you've ever done a 40-day fast, but, but, and I'm not. I'm full disclosure, I've not done a 40-day fast. But can you imagine fasting from all food for 40 days and then coming off for 10 days and then going on another 40-day fast immediately following? And I remember specifically asking my dad, why are you doing this again? And he said something that was pretty powerful to me. He said this. He said, the first 40 days, I saw God work in me. And now I firmly believe God is calling me to do another 40-day fast for God to work in us. And he's talking about liberty, talking about the organization. And he went on another 40-day fast. And it was just amazing to see that during that second 40-day fast, God showed up through a a number of individuals, a number of very wealthy individuals in our country. And in that 40 days, all of the financial challenges and problems and situations that Liberty was facing, they all got taken care of, all the debts were paid, and Liberty came out of that 40 days um, victorious. And it was interesting to see that God did not do, God did not do that work in the first 40 days. God did that work in the second 40 days. Now, here's what I, the reason I say all that is to say this, not to talk about my dad or talk about liberty, not saying, what I'm telling you is this, in seeing what God did during that, that 90 day period where my dad fasted for 80 of those 90 days, what I was able to see and what many of us around him were able to see and and I hope you are able to see is what Jesus was talking about here. God did not command my dad to fast and that the only way he was going to deliver was through a fast. God did not. But my dad had the opportunity of going deeper in his faith and deeper in his trust and deeper in his dependence on God during that fast than he ever could have had he not. He He sacrificed what he was able to have. He sacrificed what he was permitted to have. He set it aside and he just got alone with God with nothing but water and V8 juice and coffee. And for 80 days of 90 days, he simply sought the face of God and walked away from the things that he could have had. And in that time, my dad saw a different God than he'd ever seen before. Not a different person of God. But he saw God in a deeper, more powerful way. And that's what fasting is. Fasting is the opportunity that we have. And it doesn't have to be food. I'm not telling you to go go out and fast for 40 days and then 10 days off and do it. I'm not saying that. I'm saying you 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 could fast a day. You could fast a week. You could fast maybe not from food, but fast from other things. Because really, fasting really doesn't have anything to do with food. 
It has to do with setting aside something that's really important. And so young people, it might be setting aside TikTok for a season. It might be setting aside your phone for a season. You know, whatever that is. The picture is this, is that you are sacrificing something that you have and can have because you're saying, God, I want you alone. And so what Jesus is saying here about fasting is this, is like it's a gift that God gives that helps us to go a lot deeper than we ever could have before. Now, I've gone long today, and so I just want to give you a couple quick practical points, four points. They're going to be on the screen. You can write them down, take a picture of them. They're real simple. I mean, it's not like, you know, anything deep or anything like significant, but it's a great reminder. And the first one is this, like we got to pray regularly. Like, like prayer is not something you, you know, can do like when you're in trouble. Like we've all heard the statement that, you know, prayer is not your, you know, your, your last defense. It's, it's, it's your first step. It's like the first thing that you do, right? I mean, pray, pray regularly. Uh, pray rightly. Like, like don't make prayer like just something that's ritualistic and it's the same thing over and over again. Like, like have a deep, meaningful conversation with the God who created you and do it regularly. So we pray regularly. We pray rightly. We pray intently, like recognize that path that I gave you a moment ago from the Lord's prayer, the model prayer that Jesus gave to, like use that as a path, use that as a model for this is how I pray. God, you're holy. God, you are awesome. God, you're amazing. I was talking with Rod Dempsey this morning, one of our pastors here, and Rod was saying that when he prays, like the first thing he does in prayer is he actually will walk through uh, alphabetically and use words like, like, God, you're awesome. You know, you know, all the, and just go alphabetically, like just words and talking about the awesomeness of God. And so we, God, you're holy. God, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, set apart. You're, you are the only one, God, who's holy. And then we, you know, continue, God, I desire, I long for your will to be done on this earth. God, I pray that you would work. God, I pray this morning, I pray, God, work in the service today. God, speak through your word today to the people who hear it. God, forgive me of my sins. God, I don't want any barrier between you and me. God, I pray, Lord, help me to forgive others. God, I pray that you would provide what I need. And here's what I need, God. Even though he knows it, God, let me remind you. Because <laughs> hey, we're invited to tell him. God, I want your will to be done. God, I want your kingdom to come. God, I want you to make a difference in this community. And God, I love you. God, it's your kingdom forever and ever and your glory, God. Amen. Use that as a path. Pray regularly, pray rightly, pray intently, and then fast when necessary. Fast when necessary. And you, listen, here's the cool thing. No one can tell you when it's the time to fast, but you'll know it. You'll know when it's time to go deeper in your relationship, deeper in this conversation. And so that's just four quick points, four simple, like, no-brainer points, but man, Kind of when you read this passage in the Sermon on the Mount, it is kind of no-brainer. Basically, that God is telling us, Jesus is saying, very, hey, don't show off, don't make prayer about you. Don't draw the attention to yourself, because all the attention needs to go to God. Seek God for your needs. Seek God for His desires. Like, want what God wants. And then, when you fast, don't do it like the other people do. Don't do it so you can put on a show and say, look at me, I'm fasting. Oh, it's so tough, it's so rough, so they'll feel so... No, don't do that. In fact, he says, like, hey, make yourself look better when you're on a fast. Like, actually, you know, put a little more makeup on, right? Dress a little better. Be a little... Smile more, right? I mean, act like things are great when you're fasting. 
because you don't want the attention to go to you. You want the attention to go to the only one who is worthy of our praise, the only one who is worthy of our glory, the only one who is worthy, period, and that's to God. And so it's a no-brainer conversation what Jesus gave. How do you pray? Man, pray regularly, pray rightly, pray intently, and fast when necessary. And if that becomes a regular discipline, a regular path in your journey and in your life, here's what I know, here's what I know. God will show up and do in your life what you can't even imagine. I've seen it. Others have seen it. And I pray that everyone in this room, everyone hearing my voice today, that you'll see it. God wants to do the supernatural in your life. But you've got to want it also. Let's pray. God, thank you for, uh, Lord, just the the no-nonsense way that today you've told us, here's what we're just supposed to do to pray. Here's how we're to pray. Here's how we're to talk to you, God, the communication that you've given us, the the opportunity, which we do not deserve, Lord, to, to have a conversation with you. God, I pray that we'll be faithful, that we'll be uh, diligent in this path. And God, I pray that along this journey, Father, we just, in advance, we just praise you for who you are, God, because we can't imagine why you would let us in, why you would answer our call. We don't know why, but God, we thank you that you do. And so God, I pray that today for everyone here that we will make a, a renewed commitment, Lord, to our conversations with you. But God, I also know there might be someone here today that has never had that opportunity of experiencing the power of the gospel. That they've had, never had the opportunity of recognizing and understanding that in their own lives that that veil that was ripped when Christ died, that in their life, that veil has not been ripped at all because they've never believed that Jesus died and rose again. So God, I pray that today, Lord, that they would make that declaration, that they would believe who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and that they would come into a right relationship with you. With our heads bowed, with our eyes closed, our team is gathered here, we're gonna pray. In a moment, we're gonna stand and sing through one time and our altar's gonna be open. And man, I just invite you today, if God has spoken to you today in something, and again, I, I, I don't even really know like what God might have said to you today. I, I don't know the conversation that God is having with you, but I, what I would say is this, like make sure you pay attention. Make sure you pay attention to what God wants you to hear and what he wants to say to you. And and today, if God's telling you, hey, you need to get saved, man, our team is here. We'd love to talk with you. You can come down in a moment and just say, hey, I want to get saved today. I'd love to tell you about who Jesus is. Maybe you want to come and just kneel here and, you know, kind of a a renewed dedication commitment prayer of like, God, I want to go deeper in my conversation with you. I want to become a prayer warrior. Remember now, it's a key. You will never become a prayer warrior if all you ever do is pray for yourself. Maybe you want to come and join our church family or come for baptism. Well, whatever it is, we're going to stand and we're going to sing through just one time because we're late. I've gone way long. I'm sorry. Um, we're just going to sing through one time. The altar is going to be open. And then our team will be here after the service is over. But if God is speaking to you today, like, get this, understand this. Like, God wants to hear from you and God wants to talk to you. And the only thing that will keep you from hearing from God, listen to me is you. So get out of your own way and let God speak. Let's stand and let's sing. I'm calling on the God of Jacob who 
whose love endures through generations. I know that you will keep your covenant. I'm calling on the God of Moses, the one who opened up the to do the same thing for me. Thought of the day, God, I need you. Oh, God, my God, I need you. Oh, God, my God, I need you now. How I need you now. Hey, oh, rock, oh, rock of ages, I'm standing on your God, today we do need you. God, we're desperate without you. But more importantly, God, we're desperate for you. And so, God, I pray that we, every one of us, God, that we would long to have that fellowship, that conversation with you. Lord, give us an understanding of prayer that goes beyond anything that we've ever experienced before. God, help us today to seek your face, to seek your will, to seek your power, to seek your presence. And God, we just thank you that you've already promised to answer the prayer, that you'll do it. So God helps to get out of our own way. God helps to run to you. And in advance, we give you the praise for the work you'll do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Altar's open, we'd love to talk with you. God bless you, and remember, pray regularly, pray rightly, pray intently, and fast when necessary. Have a great day. Thank you for worshiping with us today. We're so glad you joined us. If you prayed to receive Christ today, we'd love to hear from you. We want to help you as you begin this journey of faith in Jesus Christ. So send us an email to the address on the screen, pastor at trbc.org. Likewise, if you've never accepted God's free gift of salvation, the forgiveness of sins made possible by the death and resurrection of Jesus, but you'd like to know more, well, we're here to help you. So just reach out to us. We'd love to tell you more. Our mission at Thomas Road is to change our world by developing Christ followers who love God and love people. And if you'd like to help us fulfill that mission by giving to our ministry, then go to the link on your screen and make your contribution today. Help us help others with the life-changing truth of God's love.